Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I'm Jason Scorse. So, here we are after the election uh, with the results not certified yet but pretty much done deal here um, Biden victory Um, and I want to kind of get into the details of that victory Uh, I was actually going to air this episode one week from the election day on November 10th but I wanted to give everyone a week to celebrate Biden's victory and and obviously Kamala Harris as well because what I have to say isn't very celebratory and so it's going to be a little of a downer of an episode but I think important because we have to deal with reality as it is not how we want it to be. So first let me just say now that the results are in I was really wrong about Biden as a candidate. We'll never know how he would have done if it had been a strong economy And it hadn't been the pandemic, but in this moment, he was clearly the right person for the job. He uh, ran a really great campaign, really focused, disciplined, didn't make errors, and he brought it home. And, you know, given that the Democrats did not do so great down ballot, I'm hearing a lot of people criticizing Biden and the campaign for things they should have done Uh, differently, even people who I respect a lot. And my message to them is basically they need to shut the fuck up because that's just utter and complete fucking bullshit. Biden ran an incredible campaign. It is hard to run a campaign in the United States. The pressure, the amounts of money, the, the geography, we're in a pandemic. You know, this is difficult stuff. Of course, there are elements that you can second guess. But you know what? We don't have the counterfactuals, and he brought it home, and he won. So you know what? The people who are armchair quarterbacking, I think, you know, they really just need to shut the fuck up. couple of details here. You know, Biden won Arizona and Georgia, which are two states that hadn't gone to Democrats in decades, so it's a big deal, and won a Senate seat, a really important Senate seat in Arizona, And uh, when I get to the antidotes, I'll talk about the Senate seats in Georgia coming up. He also won back the upper Midwest, right? Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, that kind of what used to be considered the blue wall that Hillary lost. He won all three of those, right? So he did what he needed to do. He put some new states into the Democratic column and, uh, and, and brought home the states he needed to. Now, one other key point here is he received less than 50% of the white vote overall, although he did do better than Clinton. So Hillary Clinton really just um, got hammered on the white vote in 2016, and Biden did better. But it's important to know that he got less than 50%. So the bottom line in this election is, once again, black and brown people saved America. And think about the irony here, right? These are the people who've been at the bottom of the caste system in America, who've had centuries of abuse and racism and brutality, and yet they are the groups that, by and large, are voting in large majorities 
for progress and sanity and literally saving white America from itself. So there's just so many layers of irony in that and maybe we'll revisit that in a future episode. So again, on Biden, I was wrong about him as a candidate originally, but I think he ran a great campaign and how he ended up doing, I think I was pretty in line. I made a few conjectures and wrote a little piece that I put on LinkedIn and sent out to colleagues about what I thought Biden would do. And I I was pretty much accurate on that. Where I was really wrong, and most people were really wrong, was about Trump's support. And this is where things go dark pretty quickly. So I thought Trump's 2016 numbers were his ceiling, right? So he got, you know, a little over 63, actually a little under 63 million votes in 2016. He got about 46% of the vote. And I'm thinking, okay, that's the max. That's the fluke. After all the lies, the corruption, the chaos, the cruelty, the racism, the death, I figured he was going to have to bleed some support. So I thought... He went from 46% in 2016, would go to maybe 44, 43. Again, most Republicans are batshit insane, and they were going to support him. But I figured on the margins, he would lose some support overall. Boy, was I wrong. So, again, he got about 63 million votes in 2016. He got 73 million this time around. That's 10 million more votes. Now, again, Biden got you know, about, you know, 12 million plus more than Clinton. So that's why he won. So he did, you know, he brought out even more than that 10 million. But I mean, 10 million additional votes, that's just incredible. And he's hovering around 47% here. So where did these votes come from? Now, we don't have all the data yet. So, you know, we're going to have to wait a couple months till all this data is collected. Um, And there's some talk about he got a little bit more black and Hispanic votes. There's certainly that's possible, but I want to see the numbers. And I think it was only in a few select areas. Overall, he still had very, very low. You know, again, the base is the core overwhelming majority of his support is white people. But those millions of more voters, it seems that many of them had been non-voters before and hadn't been picked up. Right, People who had not voted for Obama or McCain or even Bush who came out just to vote for Trump's second term. And again, these are mostly white people. Again, the majority of whites in America betrayed the nation, right? So just let's let this kind of meditate on this because it's so intense, right? You're a non-voter. You think politics sucks. You're just against it. Even Obama couldn't motivate you to come out, right? Even John McCain couldn't motivate you to come out. But you're going to finally register to vote and come out to give this sociopath four more years? I mean, it's just mind-blowing that basically almost half of the country are racist fascists. And again, this is a podcast. I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't have advertisers. It's not connected to my professional work. So I can just say that, not because I think it's hyperbole and sensational, because it's true. Now, again, in 2016, I could forgive a vote for Trump. You know, it was a reckless and irresponsible thing to do. But if after watching four years of this, you wanted four more years, you're racist and fascist. That's just who you are. You might be other things. You might be greedy and ignorant and crazy, but you're also racist and fascist. And that's about half the country. Now, another key point here. 
let's put aside the popular vote here. Looks like Joe will be, beat um, Trump by five to seven million uh, votes. So again, that's the most votes ever cast in a presidential election for a single candidate. But Trump is coming in at number two. So again, on popular vote, though, not even close. Five to seven million is a blowout. But if you look at the states that determine the Electoral College, if 50,000 votes had gone the other way, Trump would have been legitimately reelected. I mean, this is just insane. In a country of 330 million, we were 50,000 votes shy of just straight up reelecting Trump. So look, if the left hadn't worked so hard in all those postcards, all those text messages, all those phone calls and get out the vote and hadn't raised hundreds of millions of dollars, we would be looking at a fascist death cult in power for four more years. That's how close we got. The burning bus came to a halt at the cliff's edge, but it's teetering at the cliff's edge. It's like literally, you know, if you blew on the back of the bus, the bus is going to tumble over the cliff. So as I said in the last episode, unless we got a very strong repudiation of Trump, America would remain largely ungovernable and probably get worse. So I said there were, you know, three outcomes, right? A strong repudiation, a, a, a small victory, and then Trump's a Trump victory. We got that middle one. Even though the popular vote victory was relatively large, the electoral co- college victory is relatively narrow margins. And also just Trump's tremendous showing and in, in increasing his voting share by 10 million more votes is just, it's frankly incredible. I mean, I'm, it's rare that I am not cynical enough in American politics, but I just did not think he could possibly get that many votes. And that means America is much more dysfunctional, much more insane than even I thought. And those of you who've listened to this know that I don't, do not have a high estimation of the American consciousness in the American body politic. And and the bottom line to, to pre- preface what I'm going to come to after the break here is it's just hard to govern a country when half the population is insane. No country has a perfectly enlightened population. There's 20, 30 percent of every country that's off, you know, off the reservation and just crazy, um, but not close to half. It's just shockingly high. So look, we can all breathe a sigh of relief that we don't have four more years of Trump to look forward to, but not much more than that. So after the break, I will assess where we are. Scandalous. Money, greed, and lust. In this trife life, there ain't nobody you can trust. Plus, there's no justice, it's just us. In fact, watching your back, it be a must. And each and every day around the way, gats bust. And jealous so-called friends will try to set you up. It's called betrayal. 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 Oh, betrayal. Fuck ass niggas. Okay. So I want to be clear that, again, even though the election, you know, in the Electoral College, these 50,000 votes in a few key states is a pretty razor-thin margin. Overall, if you look at the, the popular vote total, the number of states Biden won, again, including those that Democrats hadn't won in, in decades, he has a pretty strong mandate, all things considered, right? So my hat is off to him for running such a great campaign, being so disciplined, his job was to beat Trump, and he did it. So, you know, that's all well and good. I also want to give a special shout-out to Stacey Abrams, who almost single-handedly brought Georgia home for the Democrats. 
And again, we'll get back to her in the antidote section because we got some important Senate races coming up. But the Democratic Party down ballot didn't do too great. We were expected to increase some the House majority. In fact, we lost some House seats, and including some really key ones. Uh, a Congressman Joe Cunningham in South Carolina, great champion for the oceans and climate that I've been working with. He lost, and that was a real bummer. And some other really good Democrats lost as well. The Senate is in doubt. We'll come back to that. We have picked up at least one net gain because we won Colorado and, like I said, Arizona. So we got some good stuff there. But right now, it's looking like 48 for the Democrats, 50 for Republicans, and two in doubt. So, you know, the best we could possibly do is just a, a break even. Uh, and then Kamala Harris would be the tie-breaking. So at least it would put Democrats to control the Senate agenda. State legislatures, not too good either. And this is really a pretty big problem because of gerrymandering. The thought was, hey, 2020 is going to be a great year for Democrats. We'll win big in state houses this year. And then we'll be able to write, you know, fair and good maps so that, you know, Republicans can't gerrymander congressional districts. Well, that didn't turn out so well. And you can bet every last dollar you got that the Republicans are going to draw the most contorted, twisted, you know, insane maps to just squeeze out every possible um, Republican vote so that they can win, you know, 40% of the votes in the state and get 60% of the seats, which is what they've been doing in uh, Wisconsin for, for many, many years. So this means that even though Trump is going to be gone, the chances for real progress in America are not that great. Right. Biden is way better than Trump and will do a lot of good. There's a lot of power in the presidency, both through the regulatory agencies, administrative decisions, um, things that they can get into budget bills, etc. Foreign policy is completely in his control. But the major issues, right, especially democracy reform and voting rights and statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico, uh, health care expansion, really reducing income equality by raising taxes on the rich, major climate change infrastructure investment, major serious criminal justice reform. Those are going to be tough to impossible. I would put most of those in the impossible category because the GOP is going to obstruct every step of the way. They're going to go back to their 2009 playbook, try to sink Biden's presidency. They don't give a shit at all about how many people suffer and die. They just care about power and helping the plutocracy. The plutocracy is doing great right now. Tech shares are up. High-priced real estate is up. That's all they care about. If millions of people are out of work or die from COVID, they just absolutely do not give a fuck, right? And then in 2024, it's going to be Trump 2.0. So they're going to continue to pay fealty to Trump, talk about how you know the election was stolen, and then we're going to gear up for a Trump 2.0. It might even be Trump again or someone from his family. But it's just like the, the hope that the, the Republicans would be chastised by a real big resounding defeat and kind of become a more responsible center-right party. That has just been dashed. That's not happening, right? Trumpism is not going anywhere. If anything, it's getting stronger. We have, you know, QAnon members in fucking Congress, right? People who believe the most craziest satanic cult conspiracy theories. These are people who shouldn't be elected dog catcher who are going to be sitting in Congress, right? We also, of course, see all these phony lawsuits that Trump is doing so he can just grift and scam his, you know, his base for money to pay off his debts. Um, and, and, you know, and the Republicans are egging him on, right? Only four, as I, as I record this podcast, 
Only four of the 53 Republican senators have congratulated Biden on his victory. Four out of 53. Many are getting on Fox News and other right-wing sites and feeding insane conspiracy theories to keep their, you know, aggrieved base motivated because this is the the cash cow and this is this is what they're going to run on for here until they're defeated and until we defeat them it's just going to keep growing, right? Fascism goes in one direction. Just this week also a Supreme Court justice Alito, one of these right-wing ex- religious extremists who has no business being on a court gave an address to the Federalist Society. This is the judicial kind of watch group that has been grooming these right-wing nut jobs for court picks that McConnell has been very successful to get in. Um, he gave this public speech that was streamed in which he complained about all these culture war issues, abortion, gay marriage, freedom of religion. Of course, he threw in a bunch of lies because that's what Republicans and conservatives do. But it was just looked at as a completely, you know, they're supposed to, these are people who are supposed to be judges. They're supposed to be nonpartisan. He goes to a partisan group, gives a super partisan um, talk, railing against gay marriage and abortion and and all these liberal progressive values. Probably feeling pretty good because now that they have a 6-3 majority, they can start doing all kinds of heinous things to keep their base in a frenzy. While, of course, their real agenda, serving the plutocracy. Alito, Thomas, Roberts, their main agenda is serving the plutocracy. These Federalist Society gatherings are not full of anti-abortion and anti-gay marriage people. They're full of corporate lawyers, right? So again, this the, the idea that I've been pushing for many years, that the GOP is a white grievance cult in the service of plutocracy, is again on full display. What the Supreme Court is really good at doing is channeling money and power up the chain to the plutocracy. But when they have the mic, what do they talk about? They talk about abortion, gay marriage, religious freedom, freedom of speech, all the culture war issues to get people riled up and then hide their true agenda, which they never talk about. You'll never see any of these right-wingers get up and talk about how they're doing all this great stuff to consolidate corporate power and free corporations from regulations for health and safety. Never in a million years do they talk about that Because again, that's their true agenda that they keep under wraps. So look, overall, the GOP is likely to only get worse because they have no incentive to change. If you can do what Trump's done over this last four years and increase your vote share even though he lost, that's just a clear sign to them that they have a winning ticket. White grievance, culture war issues, dysfunction, and that's going to motivate their base. Right, the American people had a chance to send a clear message, um, and they did. They said they want more lies and chaos. They didn't re- repudiate it. They said we want more of it, or at least almost fifty percent. And I'm sure the GOP is going to be more than happy to deliver. So the future for America is pretty grim. I'm just going to be realistic about this. Right, until fascist forces are strongly defeated, they just keep festering and growing. And that's not what happened here. You know, Biden eked out a victory and a nice popular vote margin, but this was not the repudiation um, that we needed. So anyway, uh, we do have to move forward. There's still work to be done. And you know, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, so I don't want to say what my grim predictions here are guaranteed. Things can happen, big events in the world that none of us can foresee. So we just got to plod forward one day at a time and do our best. So after the break, I'll come back with some of the work to do in the antidote. 
This can happen often and it's really fucked up So I'll ask you to your face, homeboy, what's up? Did you come to see my show or to the stupid nigga playoffs? Killing you and killing me It's the soliloquy of chaos If you live in cities where the streets wreak warfare People getting nowhere but you're going for yours there You'll find it doesn't pay to front or play the role You could get stole or maybe beat with a pole Then you want to retaliate, regroup and come back So you set up the brothers for a sneak attack Whether you die or kill them, it's another brother dead But I know you'll never get that through your head Cause we're misled and misfed facts We're way off, killing you and killing me It's the soliloquy of chaos Okay, so for today's antidote, the work is not done for election 2020. We have two Georgia runoffs in January. And what's interesting is Georgia has this law that if you do not win by at least over 50% of the vote, it has to go to a runoff. The irony here is that this law was put in as part of the Jim Crow laws as a completely racist way to make sure that black candidates could never win in Georgia. Right, because there's not the majority of people are white, so even though a black candidate could maybe win 40% or 30% in a three-way race or something like that, um, they would be very hard for them to ever get over 50. So this is a completely racist law, but ironically, it actually is now coming to bite the GOP a little because neither of their two Senate candidates uh, hit the 50% threshold. So that means we have this runoff, and we have two great Democratic candidates running. In Georgia, this is going to be really tough, right? Most Democrats are pretty burnt out and people just want to forget about the election. Uh, Republicans are pretty riled up because Trump lost. So this is going to be a tough one. But look, Stacey Abrams is on the case. She's raising millions. There's a lot of activists working. And so here's what I'm asking you all to do. If we can get these two Senate races, then it's a 50-50 tie. The Democrats control the agenda. And this makes a huge, like huge monumental difference. So please, between now and January 5th, when the runoff is, do what you can to help these Senate races. You can make phone calls. You can donate money. Just, you know, Google Act Blue Georgia Senate race or just Georgia Senate races and you'll see the Democratic candidates, and there's plenty of info on what you can do. If you can send $5, send $5. If you can spend a half an hour making phone calls, make spend a half an hour, right? It's like whatever you can do. I get it. People are burnt. The holidays are coming up. COVID is raging. The president, the, or our fake president, isn't even pretending to be president anymore while COVID just rages. So it's a, it's a tough moment, and it's going to be a tough winter. But if we can get those two Georgia Senate seats, boy, would that make things a lot better. And then some of my more dire um, you know, pr- um, pronouncements here and, and predictions for the next couple years will certainly be ameliorated if we can win those two Senate seats. And that would just be a great way to start 2021. So with that, everybody, I hope you're all doing well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues and rate it. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher, and Spotify. There's also a playlist, DZA Podcast, on Spotify if you like the music. And with that, everybody, I hope you're doing well. And uh, for those of you in the United States, you know, happy Thanksgiving, and I'll catch you uh, in, um, in, in, in the next month. Take care.